This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. It is already Tuesday, August 23rd. And if you have checked the markets today, specifically the commodity markets, folks, you have noticed that we are in a rally move today. The grains are all substantially higher. Corn markets running 22 to 23 cents higher. Soybeans up 13 to 15 cents. We're even seeing strength in wheat 16 to 15 cents higher in those classes of wheat. Chicago contract across the board. We're going to talk about this market move in segment three with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing. Before that, though, we're going to talk with Chase DeCoit. He's the Director of Animal Health and Food Safety Policy at NCBA about the Asian Longhorn Tick in a two-day symposium they're hosting today and tomorrow to educate folks on the risk that this particular tick brings to the cattle industry. And we're going to talk about school lunches. Across the country, folks are heading back to school. And in our local district here at home, the first day of school was today, and that's got a lot of parents heading to the grocery store to pick up the bread and the processed meat and the slices of cheese that we're going to use to make those sandwiches all year long. And those prices, folks, are changing. Brian Ernest is the lead animal protein economist at CoBank. And last week, he took a look specifically at school lunch pricing. He joins us today to talk about it. Brian, thanks for joining us on AOA. Thanks for having me, Mike. Good morning. Let's start, Brian, overall food inflation. I think when we all go to the grocery store, we've all seen prices coming in higher. When you look at the broad picture of food inflation, how much have we moved up over the past year? Well, the latest report from uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, showed food at home purchases. Uh, Prices were up 13% year over year in July. Um, just showing the magnitude of, of uh, food inflation that we're seeing for at-home purchases. Um, food away from home was a little bit lower. Uh, came in around 10%, but still um, some, some remarkable increases in terms of just that highlight number of, of what folks are uh, experiencing at the counter and um, in restaurants. Yeah, up 13% total. But of course, when we look at averages, we lose a lot of the detail. And Brian, what I appreciated about your report is you went in specifically to what are the price items or what has happened to the prices of items used for school lunches, particularly processed meat. Brian, what have you found there? And let's talk hams right off the bat. Yeah, it's it's remarkable. You know, you, you, you hit it right on the head. You, you think about that's actually a small number, that 13% increase. When you look at packaged ham, which uh, looking at recent retail feature activity reports from uh, Agriculture Marketing Service, showed packaged ham up 57% um, in terms of the price uh, that we're seeing at retail there when compared with a year ago. Um, You know, if you look at uh, other prices being reported, cheese is up 19% from a year ago, and bread prices were seeing 10 to 15%. Uh, above year ago prices. So certainly when you put it all together for a ham and cheese sandwich, um, you're looking at a you know a near 40% increase in terms of uh, prices alone there. Brian, that ham price increase was so jarring. 57% is a huge amount. And of course, we've seen elevated pork futures all year. Those have been very high. But as you look down at the processing level, was this jump in price caused by supply chain troubles, labor dis- you know, issues at processing plants, all of that filter into that number? I do think that plays a part in it. Um, certainly the wholesale market, when you look across the board, uh, pork has done really, really well this summer. Um, you, you know, as, as a, a, an alternative to what consumers are, are taking a look at their budgets um, and seeing what it can handle from a protein perspective, pork has fit in really, really well. Um, and overall, it's seen support. You think you look at things like loins and uh, and the rib primal, um, and overall, they've, they've all seen some considerable support this summer. So that uh, plays in from a demand perspective, but you hit it right on the head with the supply side as well. Um, tightness in the hog markets uh, really has, has continued to, to put upward pressure um, on, uh, on pork value overall. 
And pork's not the only processed meat that is seeing record or near record prices. Brian, you also mentioned turkey is one of those. Are we in record territory with processed turkey pricing? Yeah, absolutely. From uh, at least from a wholesale perspective, fresh time breast meat uh, hit six fifty a pound this summer, and it, it's sticking around at those levels. Uh, a top contributor there has been highly pathogenic avian influenza, uh, that impacting supply um, at a time when overall you look at at uh, the um, uh, the situation for turkey producers throughout the last two years. Um, has been a little bit of a rocky path in terms of the demand that they've seen. So um, this this really has has hit at a time uh, where supplies were already down, and um, now we've seen a, a a fairly substantial reduction in turkey supply as a result of high path AI being discovered in in the U.S. again in, in turkey flocks. Brian, you mentioned that right now those uh, breast meat is trading at about six fifty a pound. Put that into perspective for us, if you would. What was that pre-pandemic? You know, in twenty nineteen, they were struggling to hit two dollars a pound uh, for uh, fresh town breast meat, and um, so it's it's uh, it's been a substantial increase here, really over the last uh, six seven months. It certainly has. And uh, I also understand that HPAI not just impacting turkey production, also egg laying. Brian, what have you seen for eggs? Yeah, egg prices have uh, have seen some remarkable strength this summer as well. Um, the last time we saw this, it was demand-related in 2020 um, when folks were clamoring the stores to stock up on eggs. Uh, now this year, uh, it, it appears to be from a supply standpoint that um, uh, you know, overall, there's there's been pretty sizable flock uh, depopulations in, in certain areas of the country as a result of high path AI. Um, overall, we've lost about 40 million birds um, to high path AI this summer, or uh, uh, this this spring and, and through the summer months. And it appears it's it's hanging on. We're still seeing some uh, some outbreaks occur in the U.S. borders, which is. It's atypical. Last time we had these outbreaks, um, they were pretty much uh, done for um, and, and being reported in the June time frame. So, um, you know, that, that may continue to be a lingering impact on what prices folks are seeing at the shelves for eggs uh, here through the fall period as well. Brian, as this HPAI fades into the background, do you expect both turkey and egg prices to decline as the school year moves along? Uh, a little bit from where they're at now, I would think we should be seeing a tipping point uh, here coming around the corner. Back to school time frame is, is a, a period where folks do put more uh, items in the refrigerator. Um, and as the school year carries along while they're still making those purchases, um, you know, it's, it's not all at the same time. So the supply chain doesn't see that massive crunch that they do. Uh, you know, right away at the beginning of the school year. So uh, that leads into, uh, you know, what's, what's happening throughout the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the sector itself. That makes sense, folks. We've been talking to Brian Ernest, the lead animal protein economist there at CoBank, writes in the Knowledge Exchange. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And folks, stick around. We are going to be talking about the Asian longhorn tick when AOA returns with Chase DeCoit of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Stick around for more AOA coming up after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Are you headed to the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa this year? If so, stop by the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth to see all the latest in tires. Also, Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live all three days there from the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth. That's booth 928. Stop by to watch the show at 9 a.m. And that's in Trelleborg booth 928. We'll see you in Boone at the Farm Progress Show. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. 
the system of choice. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues here today, and we're going to be talking about animal health. One of the major concerns if you're in the livestock industry is keeping that herd healthy, keeping them producing, and of course, you know, keeping them as happy as possible. One of the things that has reared its head in the last six years is the Asian longhorn tick. This is an invasive species fairly new to our shores, and today and tomorrow, National Cattlemen's Beef Association and the Department of Agriculture are running a two-day virtual symposium on this tick. Joining me now to help bring us up to speed on why we should be paying attention to this and how we can learn more is Chase DeCoit. He's the Director of Animal Health and Food Safety Policy at NCBA. Chase, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Let's talk about the Asian longhorn ticks risks first. We've got this symposium coming up. Chase, why should I attend? What does this tick present as a risk to my operation? Yeah, we're going to learn a lot about the Asian longhorn tick and, and the uh, different impacts it could cause on your herd. Now, one of the things that we're really watching is uh, a, a disease known as Tyleria orientalis. Um, and that can cause uh, animals to become anemic. It can cause severe blood loss, and in some cases even cause abortion in our cows that are, are carrying uh, calves to term. So it obviously presents a huge risk to the American cattle herd, and we are watching it closely. Unfortunately, it seems that the tick is spreading uh, across the East Coast and headed uh, west from, from where it was originally found in Virginia. And so uh, we are bringing together a whole suite of folks these next two days to discuss the Asian longhorn tick and what we can do as a country and bring people together as conveners uh, to minimize the risk and to slow the progression of the Asian longhorn tick. Slowing the progression, that is so key. You mentioned 2017, it was discovered in Virginia. Chase, how widespread is the tick now that we know about? Yeah, so so far we've seen it in 17 states, mostly along the eastern seaboard, but 
uh, as far uh, west as Kentucky, potentially Missouri, uh, and we are, are watching that spread. Now, um, it's important to know that the tick is very small, and one way uh, to identify it is to uh, make sure that you're reporting any of these potential symptoms of disease to your state veterinarian so that they can keep an eye out for this. Um, the tick is actually only the size of the tip of your pin or a sesame seed. And so most times uh, folks don't notice them until there's actually thousands of ticks who have come together on a host, uh, usually in the typical areas that you'd find ticks on cattle, behind the ears, uh, under the, the legs, et cetera. So, um, it is important to keep an eye out and to look for that. Um, unfortunately, because it is so small, it is sometimes difficult to identify. So if you have any questions about that, we encourage you to reach out to your state veterinarian's office uh, or your USDA uh, offices nearby or even your state uh, extension so that you can get help with this, this tick. Absolutely. And it, if I recall, Chase, I, the rate at which this tick can spread is astronomical. And in fact, if it is on cod, I, I understand they can put down a calf. Yeah. So, so quite frankly, uh, one of the biggest concerns about this tick is that it can uh, self-reproduce. It does not need a male uh, to reproduce. And so any female can produce thousands of offspring of these ticks, uh, and that can cause the spread to happen very rapidly. Additionally, uh, when the environment is not conducive to reproduction for this tick, it can go dormant for potentially several years and then uh, reawaken, if you will, uh, and then reproduce when the time uh, is right or when the environmental conditions are ripe for reproduction. And so that could allow this uh, tick to really uh, cause major harm, uh, not only to the U.S. cattle herd, but obviously uh, other species as well. So we are bringing folks together. You're exactly right. Small calves uh, and newborn calves are particularly susceptible to uh, the symptoms of this disease, potentially killing them. Uh, and we are concerned about all of that. So we are raising the alarm bells, but convening the right people together to have these important discussions and see what we can do. And Chase, well, let's talk about the actual symposium itself for a little bit. It is today and tomorrow running basically through the middle of the day. Tell us, is this geared towards producers, veterinarians? Uh, who should be attending? You know what? You're exactly right. All of those folks should be attending this, uh, this symposium. Reason being is the first thing we need to do is to raise awareness. We need people to talk to their friends and neighbors. Uh, about this so that people are aware of what to look for. That is the only way we'll be able to really understand the spread uh, of this tick. And then beyond that, we're going to have discussions about what people can do to protect their herds and the impacts that it could have on the industry. So I encourage veterinarians, cattle producers, state extension uh, educators, university uh, researchers and professors uh, the whole like to come together to uh, learn a bit more about this tick, the symptoms uh, of the disease that it can cause, and to uh, really stay engaged on this issue. We're really excited. We've already got uh, almost a thousand folks registered for this two-day uh, virtual symposium, and our registration is still open. It starts at noon today, uh, and it'll and it will go from noon to 3.45 Eastern time today and also tomorrow. So if you go to ncba.org, you can get registered. And Chase, if I'm registered but can't make it off the farm or can't get to a computer today, is the event being recorded so I could watch it later? Yes, it is. Uh, if you are unable to attend live, uh, we will post uh, the recordings of this uh, on NCBA's website. So check for that later this week and early next week, and we will have those posted so that folks can watch or listen at a later time. Perfect. So if they want to get registered, Chase, is the best way to do it at the ncba.org website? It is. Head to ncba.org. Right there on the homepage, uh, we've got a link on there to learn more about uh, the TIC Symposium, and you can go there to register and get your links.
All right, folks, get that done. Let's keep an eye on this Asian longhorn tick. Let's see if we can stop this thing before it continues to spread too much further. Chase, while we've got you, I want to change the topic to another focus of yours, which is, of course, food safety policy. I understand in September the White House is going to be running a conference on nutrition, hunger, and health. Can you tell us what is NCBA going to be doing for an event like that? Yeah, thanks for asking. Happy to uh, discuss the, the White House conference. You know, we're really interested in seeing the outcomes in the report that the White House generates uh, from this conference. All indications are that they will uh, put forth a national strategy to uh, reduce hunger and improve health by 2030 uh, in Americans. And that is a lofty and applaudable goal, but we want to make sure that uh, the strategies that they uh, employ to achieve their goals uh, take into recognition the positive benefits of uh, lean, nutrient-dense beef and what uh, consumers are willing and able uh, to put in their pantries. And so uh, we look forward to the recommendations that uh, are, are put forth by this. Um, we're, we're actively watching it. Unfortunately, there is not a whole lot of information coming out of the White House or the administration at this time. And there have been uh, some questions here uh, in the nation's capital about just exactly what uh, they are putting together and what this report is going to look like. So as we near closer, uh, we're hopeful for more information so that we uh, know what to expect. But unfortunately, until that time, uh, we wait with bated breath. Um, we have been engaged and put forth uh, our opinions and our uh, support for the conference uh, in recognizing the role of beef in the American diet and the positive outcomes it can have uh, on the development of children uh, and, and, and on the uh, benefits of our nutrient-dense product, and we will hope that those uh, are recognized in their reports. Indeed, we will. So this conference will go on in September. All of the experts will gather. They'll put their uh, their thoughts into a brain trust. Then it will come out. And you're thinking we'll see that end of September. October is when we could see that national strategy begin to emerge. Yeah. So the White House is saying that the conference will actually be the launching of the national strategy. So that is why we have bated breath. Um, the vacuum of, of information over there, uh, we're just not certain of what they all are putting together, but they will unveil that. Uh, at their conference come the end of September. All right. Well, we're going to have to keep an eye on that then just to see what this White House is thinking and where their head is at. Chase, glad to hear that the beef industry will be well represented and that the Biden administration is listening. That's always a relief and glad to hear it. Yes, definitely. Uh, definitely so. Indeed, folks, get on there at ncba.org. Get registered for the Asian Longhorn Tick Symposium. We've been talking to Chase DeCoit. He is the Director of Animal Health and Food Safety Policy at NCBA. Chase, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk today's market rally with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 
Well, we see strength continuing from the overnight into the morning trade here across the grain and oilseed sector with corn leading us to the upside. We did get a soybean sale reported here on the morning wire, 110,000 metric tons of beans to China, according to USDA. These are for the 22-23 marketing year. And we saw lower condition ratings for quartered soybeans nationwide on yesterday afternoon's crop progress report from USDA. With corn moving to 55% good to excellent, corn ratings stand at their lowest level for this comparable week since 2012, though there's a big difference between the good to excellent ratings from 2012 to now, 55% this year, as I mentioned, just 22% on the same week in 2012. Ratings steadying out through the remainder of the season and into harvest would definitely override much of the descent thus far and indicate better than expected yields. However, we're seeing the Midwest Crop Tour this week finding some pretty dismal yields in parts of the Western Corn Belt on day number one. U.S. spot natural gas futures hit the $10 mark this for the first time since July of 2008. Russia continues to use gas flows to Europe from their Nord Stream 1 pipeline as leverage. So that's a situation we're definitely watching as well as we move forward. Let's take a look at some of the numbers here in the trade. Corn, December 23 and three quarters higher, 652 and three quarters. November soybeans up 17 and a quarter, 1452 and a half. Bean meal up around $5 a ton. Bean oil up around 40 to 50 points. Chicago wheat, September up 15 and a quarter, 785 and three quarters. September KC wheat up 18 and three quarters, 884. Spring wheat, September up 10, 898 and a half. Good strength in hogs. October hogs up 207, 9665. Feeder cattle August down 55, 180.85. And August lime cattle unchanged at 141.22. Crude oil up 284, barrel 93.20. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell. Everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We have been watching the commodity market today, and it's moving. Joining us in this segment to bring us up to speed on what's happening here in the markets is Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing up in South Dakota. And Dwayne, South Dakota has been in the headlines here over the past 24 hours. It sounds like uh, your corn crop might not be as good as it was last year. Is that uh, lining up with what you think? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I knew Southeast South Dakota was tough, but it was <laughs> turning out worse than anticipated for everyone, really, with the Pro Farmer Tour rolling through and what they come up with, like a 118 for South Dakota. And, of course, everyone knows it gets better as you go north of I-90, but, boy, it's going to be hard to pull that average up as Southeast South Dakota is that poor up to trend line. So I'm dipping South Dakota yield just a little bit below trend line, and also starting to reduce the national corn yield a little bit. I think, the, for me, the big story was actually Ohio coming in with lower corn yields. You know, the East is supposed to make up for the West this year, so if the East can't do that, we might have a problem here, Mike. That's a great point. And overall crop conditions ratings, corn crop at 55% right now. Dwayne, is this move we're seeing in the market, is this consistent? Or do you think we're seeing some investors piling back in, getting on that long side of the story? I think we might be today. The way I'm watching the trade today and the way it looks, it looks like we've got some fund buying coming in, maybe some index fund buying, which they have gotten out of a lot of positions. So now if you dip the national corn yield to 174, and I really struggle to lower demand at all, and that's we can talk about that too as well, but if you dip that yield down to 174, my ending stock goes to $1.2 which is 
okay, but that's pretty tight. We can't really have any problems next year or any problems in Brazil this winter. So it justifies a higher market. So like an index fund, which you know will get long and stay long for a longer period of time, I think if they're thinking that way, they're feeling like we can go ahead and buy into corn today, even though it's at about 650 and just ride it out for the next six months. All right. Well, we've got growers that are looking at these prices. We're up substantially in that December contract from just a few weeks ago back to north of 650. Dwayne, do you want to pull the trigger right here if you've got some unpriced production you're confident in? You know, actually, I don't, believe it or not. We were exiting hedges here the last uh, week and a half, two weeks, and knock on wood, got lucky there. And uh, now I, I just kind of feel like the risk for this price is actually to go higher here. That's the momentum. So I don't think I want to sell it here, believe it or not. Now, I know that's a great price. And if somebody's looking at a spreadsheet just says, man, I've gotten the reins this year, Dwayne. I can make money at that. I never have a problem with that. But I'm just saying that I think we have some upward momentum here that you know could easily put uh, March corn back around that $7 mark and the long-term target of like 732 where there's a gap up there. Right? A 1.2 billion bushel anti-stock suggests to me we should be above 7 at, with any problems this winter. I want to turn the focus back to demand, Dwayne. You said you have a hard time arguing for lower demand. What is it that's driving that sort of confidence? Well, it's kind of the exports. Let's look at that. You know, right now, USDA's got next year's exports at about that $2.4 billion, which is pretty close to in line with this last year, right? And, and I agree with that. Um, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, obviously, the situation in Ukraine. They're not going to be a large exporter of corn one way or other. Yes, there's shipments moving now, but that's still going to be difficult. Um, and obviously, Europe. Uh, Europe has got a much smaller corn crop, and they proved that with Italy buying some corn from us recently. So I think we can gain some demand there. And then China. This drought in China hasn't been talked about a lot, but all of a sudden, that's really kind of uh, spiking up as a news story now, too. I mean, one of their largest lakes is down 25% from its level from before. So that's obviously a pretty nasty drought. Now, did Brazil raise a bigger corn crop this year? Absolutely. So that's the one negative that could pull our exports down. But all those other things I mentioned are positive. So therefore, I just end up leaving it at that $2.4 billion. So even though our prices are higher and the U.S. dollar is higher, I have a hard time seeing exports being any less this new crop marketing year. All right. So globally, the situation's still tight, could lead to more demand for U.S. corn. Domestically, on the demand front, uh, Dwayne, we've got the cattle herd shrinking. We've got drivers, you know, worried about gas prices. Domestic demand, do you think we can keep that maintained for a 22 and 23? I think so, too, because one thing, I think USDA has been trimming the feed and residual category to make the numbers work last year. So I don't, I don't think they really have a lot of room to keep trimming that any lower myself. Uh, yeah, the ethanol demand is, you know, maybe in question a little bit. But, I mean, we're not talking about a large increase. Um, last year we were at 5.375. I'm thinking 5.4 for new crop. I, you know, I, we've been increasing all the time as plants get more efficient. And, you know, yeah, we, we could price ourselves out of profit and ethanol plants shut down, but we're a long ways from that. And we got to remember, even if we have a smaller crop, we will not run out of corn in a couple of months here as we harvest the new crop. We'll have plenty of supplies then. So the basis might be wide for a little while. But the other thing is these funds that are just starting to buy this market, Mike, you know, they're down to like 140, 130,000 contracts long. If they just start buying now, they have plenty of room to push it quite a bit higher as far as they can buy a lot more longs to get, you know, 330,000 long, something like that. Okay, so when they step in, this could be a, a big mover to the upside if that's the direction they continue going, it sounds like. It really could be, and I hate to jump on and sound just like my bullhorns are so big I can't get out the door anymore, but it, it's a pretty interesting situation here we've got just kind of developing this week with obviously the pro farmer tour if, if the u.s crop is lower that's bullish but you track on china drought you know if they don't produce they produce a lot of commodities in general and if they don't have as much and have to buy it's hard to be bearish then yeah it is turning our attention over to soybeans Dwayne. we did see china step in of course notable buyers of soybeans made a purchase today for new crop did that surprise you or were you expecting to see china have to come back in on more beans yeah, you know, seasonally they're in buying our new crop beans this time of year. So it's not really a surprise. Um, and there again, I know our relations 
with China aren't the best right now, but I don't think they have a whole lot of a choice. You know, as soybean prices spiked up this last year, China kind of backed off buying for what I would call their reserves. They're just buying kind of what you'd say hand to mouth, just getting by. And they'll buy as much from Brazil as they can, but they get to this time of year, Brazil's running out of supplies, and they're going to have to just start buying from us. And uh, I don't think they have much choice. So, no, it's not really a big surprise, and there should be more coming. But, you know, China does a pretty good job marketing. They'll wait for dips or they'll throw some headlines out there to cause a dip to, to buy it again. But, uh, no, they should be in buying more as we go forward. Dwayne, the crop tour, pro farmer tour that is ongoing, of course, doing pod counts in the world of soybeans. How does the trade view soybean estimates from this report? Of course, August is still ongoing. Is it not treated with the certainty that traders treat some of the corn numbers that come from the report? Well, yeah, traders absolutely do. We're kind of, it's kind of a fun week to be in the office and just watch Twitter and watch these yields come in. But, you know, you mentioned the soybean. They are more difficult to gauge this time of year. One thing I noted uh, in the eastern Corn Belt, I think it was Brian Grady had mentioned that there's plenty of soil moisture. And remember, soybeans still have time. Um, if they can get some more moisture here, they can fill out and still be okay as long as the frost is later too. But but here's the thing: is USA is already forecasting that with their higher soybean yield around that one what. 51.9, I think, is where USDA is at now. I'd say at around 52, so I'm right there with them. So we're already projecting a record yield. So um, we better have some moisture out there in the field, and it better finish pretty strong. Absolutely. Let's let's take our focus over to the wheat market. Dwayne, that's been one of the most volatile ones since the war in Ukraine started. We're seeing another big move up today. What's going on in the wheat market here? How do you read to the recent market moves? I would call the recent market move this last couple of days is just kind of your dead cap bounce off of the lows. You know, last week, man, there was a lot of negative news in the wheat market. Um, you know, Russia's crop getting bigger, our crop as far as spring wheat and Canadians' crop getting bigger. A lot of rain in the southern plains. I shouldn't say a lot of rain. Some heavy rains in parts of Texas kind of made the market feel like, well, we're going to get the winter wheat crop planted and, and so on and so forth. But So we're rebounding off of all that negative news and the higher dollar didn't help either because of things like, well, maybe China doesn't have the wheat crop they thought. And, and all of a sudden, right on cue, China buys some wheat out of Europe yesterday. It was feed wheat, but it's just the fact that they're buying wheat in general tells me that they're a little nervous their wheat crop isn't there. So you probably put in a pretty significant significant harvest low in the wheat market yesterday and should start to grind higher a little bit because the Ukraine situation obviously is still going to be ongoing even though there's some ships moving out. I, with their prices there for their farmers that close to like $2 a bushel for corn and a dollar or a bushel for wheat, or I had that wrong, I'm sorry, two for wheat and a dollar for corn. Who wants to go out and plant their winter wheat crop hoping for a, a crop right. next year when they don't even know if they're going to have their land next year, right? Yeah, yeah, it's tough to it's tough to make that sort of investment when you're dodging shells. That would be a challenge, I think, for any grower. Dwayne, I, I want to get your thoughts here on the cattle market before we let you go. We're seeing inflation still be a major concern, but we've still got, I don't know, these live cattle at 150. Where does this market move? I know, you know, obviously if the corn crop's going to be smaller, it's going to put some more pressure on the feeder cattle. But I, I think just our shorter numbers are just going to keep that market somewhat bullish as well, and live cattle especially too. Yeah, the cattle on feeder port wasn't, didn't show the decrease in numbers that we were hoping for, but I, we keep promising it is coming. And I do think it is coming. No, I'm pretty bullish as cattle market as well. Man, I do have big bullhorns on today, I guess. So I uh, hopefully nobody gets too excited. But I, I just, I see, I think we got solid support. Cutouts are strong. Exports are good in cattle. I, I can't even talk bearish about the cattle market today. Well, you could a little bit with a 25 cent move on feeder cattle, uh, excuse me, 25 cent move on <laughs> corn in the feeder cattle market. We're seeing a setback here today, Dwayne, but I imagine if the strength stays in lives, you expect to see strength in feeder cattle as well. Yeah, honestly, there's a part of me that thinks feeders should be down more than this if it's a bearish outlook. You know, no feeders still at 186. That's, you know, if you take a last week's high, that's the highest we've been in six years. That's still a good price. So, no, it's still, yeah. you'll find support pretty soon. It, it is something else to see, folks. We've been talking with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing up in Britain, South Dakota. Dwayne, thanks for joining us today. Always appreciate your insights. Yeah, anytime. Thanks, Mike. And folks, stick around. We're going to have more AOA when we return. There were some comments made from Saudi Arabians about crude oil production. Stick around. We'll talk about how that could impact you when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA 
Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Our guest today is Steve Carlson, Director of Proprietary Agronomy Products for CHS, here to discuss how you can increase nutrient efficiency on your operation. Let's talk about nutrient efficiency. How much more important is it in the context of the current fertilizer pricing? Mike, it was really important before when prices were a little bit different, um, but now certainly with what we see with global supply chain, demand for stuff, and just that, that increase in prices, uh, this has become an even bigger and bigger topic for our growers and just managing what we're doing. Steve, what should farmers do or watch for now to help inform their decision-making process later? U.S. crop looks great. We are going to have some monster yields out there this year, I think, with what we're doing and a push for higher yields with the commodity prices. What I really encourage guys to do at is look at, you know, what they're taking off for yield, uh, because as we do that for phosphorus, 85% of the phosphorus gets taken off in the grain. What we sell, what we do. Uh, so making sure that you're replenishing those soils for what you're taking off and what you want to achieve in the future. We all want those big yields. And to do that, we have to provide the right nutrition. Overwhelming majority of the phosphorus we apply isn't available. We don't get the benefit. And really going in and saying, how can I use technologies like chelates? How can I use some of the other things out there to really make it more available and more efficient is really where I think we're going to unlock a greater level of both crop production and greater efficiency. If we can get more of that money back in the grower's pocket, more of it helping contribute to yield, that's where it really separates out. And there's products that we have like Trivar uh, that can really do a great job of helping maximize that efficiency and make more of that fertilizer Making that return on investment count is what the story is all about. Steve Carlson, Director of Proprietary Agronomy at CHS, thanks for joining us here around the table. And thanks to all of you for joining us around the table as well. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Are you headed to the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa this year? If so, stop by the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth to see all the latest in tires. Also, Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live all three days there from the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth. That's booth 928. Stop by to watch the show at 9 a.m. And that's in Trelleborg booth 928. We'll see you in Boone at the Farm Progress Show.
Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You know, we just talked with Dwayne Bussey there of Bolt Marketing in the last segment about the rally that is happening in the grain markets today, and it is something else. As he mentioned, we are seeing consistent gains. Corn now 30 cents higher, soybeans 28 to 27 cents, and wheat 23 to 24 cents higher. That rally continues, but it's not just isolated to the agricultural commodities. We're seeing it spread through a lot of other commodities as well, including crude oil, West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil. Oil. The American type of crude is up $3.54, almost 5% on the day, largely due to some news out of Saudi Arabia. It was announced yesterday, Prince Abdulaziz, who is the Saudi Arabian uh, energy minister, and he is a prince, and he says that the extreme volatility in the oil market and the lack of open interest, the fact that several traders have left that market entirely as the swings in volatility make it too expensive to trade, and he says, because of that, the market does not reflect the fundamentals and OPEC plus may be forced to cut production. Threw that out in an interview uh, to, uh, with Bloomberg News yesterday. He said, quote, the paper and physical crude oil markets have become increasingly disconnected. And as a result of that, Saudi Arabia may be forced to cut production. Now, this matters, of course. President Biden was over in Saudi Arabia just a month or two months ago, talking to them about increasing their production. And at the time, Time, the Saudis said they believed they were close to their absolute ceiling on oil production of 13 million barrels per day. Well, so of course they didn't pump anymore. That kept oil prices elevated. Now that we're seeing oil prices come down, down about $22 in the past month and a half, now they're a little nervous and they're saying they're going to have to tighten production even more to hit their target. So even though they said they're not going to pump anymore, now the Saudis are coming out saying, look, we may crank back on that production. And uh, we'll see how this plays out. Of course, Saudi Arabia and the rest of OPEC have been slightly increasing production this year. They have reversed the cuts made during the pandemic, but they haven't increased too much as of yet. So we'll continue to see this play out as of now. That comment has been lobbed into the global oil trading system and... It appears that the industry is taking the Saudis at their word. So we are seeing the price of crude oil climb today might be an end to that, uh, gosh, almost 50-day streak of lower daily average fuel prices that might be coming to an end here shortly. And crude oil energy prices are not just impacting American consumers. They are having that reverberation around the world. One of the issues we have talked with uh, Josh Linville, the StoneX director of fertilizer, about several times is the fragility of European fertilizer production. When the Europeans make fertilizer, they are buying lots of natural gas, largely out of Russia, converting it into fertilizer and then marketing it. Well, as the price of natural gas has skyrocketed in the European Union amid concerns about Putin shutting off the taps and economic uh, concerns slowing down the overall economy, as natural gas prices have surged, fertilizer producers are starting to cut back. This has been a fear. For about a year, we saw a few hiccups in production back when natural gas spiked in March after the uh, the war in Ukraine began. Now we're starting to see announcements come from European fertilizer facilities. They are shutting production. Grupa Ezodi, which is Poland's largest chemical company, announced yesterday that they have completely halted production of nitrogen fertilizers and they have trimmed their output of ammonia, largely due to record gas prices. Uh, they said in a statement, quote, the current situation on the natural gas market that determines profitability of production is exceptional. They did not say how long they are going to be shut down. They did see their shares fall about 10% in trading in Poland. 
Now, Grupa Azoti is not the only large European fertilizer producer who has cut back on production. We have already seen Yara International. They are comparable in size to Grupa Azoti there in European production. They cut back their production last month, and Anwil, a petrochemical unit of the Polish refiner PKN announced yesterday as well that they are stopping fertilizer output again due to unfavorable prices. So we're going to see European facilities shut down. Now, both of these, uh, Anwil and uh, the other one, Grupa Azoti, have announced they do have enough supplies on hand and in storage to meet Europe's fertilizer demand for this fall. They have not alluded to anything about the spring. We're not done with trouble in this fertilizer market. If spring comes around and European buyers are forced to come onto the global market, compete with Americans and Brazilians for that fertilizer supply, it could be another interesting year ahead. We'll be sure to get Josh Linville on here shortly. We'll talk about how he sees these shutdowns impacting the industry as it goes forward. But we're also seeing some other issues develop. One of the things that we have been discussing for some time in the broader economy is the overall health of the U.S. consumer. And one way we measure that is with home sales. When consumers have a lot of cash, they're willing to upgrade their homes, make those changes move a little bit. We're seeing that slow. The month of July saw the slowest home sale pace since 2016. And folks, when you think about the kind of reversal that exemplifies in the housing market, it is extreme. Home sales were running at a record clip for the bulk of this year. Now to see them tail off so suddenly, certainly has a lot of economic commentators growing concerned about the health of the U.S. economy as we roll through 2022. And finally, before we go, as we have been talking crop conditions today, corn and soybeans, we heard from Dwayne, corn's not looking great in South Dakota. It's looking less great than expected in Ohio, and cotton crops around the country are suffering as well. 11% of Texas cotton is rated good to excellent right now. That's down from 14% the week earlier as the drought in that state continues to intensify. The portion of cotton crop in Texas in poor to very poor conditions has grown to 59% from 50 just a week earlier. Right now, there is a PIE tour going on across cotton growing regions. They're taking a look on the grounds. We'll be discussing that in later episodes along this week. Get a feel for how cotton could play out as this harvest starts to roll. That's another commodity that has seen record or near record prices throughout 2020, though it is another one of those like beef could be a bellwether for a turning economy. So continue to watch home sales, continue to watch gas prices, and we'll continue to watch the things in agriculture that matter to farmers. Tune in tomorrow for more AOA. We'll talk with John Holzman for an update on the Ukraine-Russia situation, and Dr. Daryl Peel will bring us up to speed on how the cow herd is changing across the country. Thanks for listening to AOA, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network.